I said to the president, while well, you said that the ANC is accused number one when it comes to corruption, but you are number one of accused number one. Uh, so what did you do about it? There's no doubt in my mind that Ramaphosa has failed the people of South Africa in general. Uh, everything he do is what is in the best interest of the ANC as a political party. Hello, my name is Donald Edward Zuba and you are watching Worldview. At Worldview we explore everyone's perspectives on all things that can broaden our worldview. Today we're talking with Dr. Peter Grunewald, the leader of the Freedom Front Plus. Dr. Grunewald is a seasoned politician who has served as mayor in 1988 of Stilfontein and who became a member of parliament in 1989. <coughs> Excuse me. In Parliament, he has served as chairperson for the Portfolio Committee on Defence from 1994 to 1999. In addition, he has served as a member of the provincial legislature in the Northwest Province for two years, 1999 to 2001, and thus he has experience in all three levels of government. Doctor, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, and I uh, appreciate the opportunity. So, Doctor, it seems like the ANC never fails to test the limits of what it is to be useless. They have failed to register 15% of their councillors for the next local election. I, I know there's an ongoing court case, but correct me if I'm wrong, I believe they will lose that. It, it seems like there's no justification for, for prolonging the registration. Well, I'm not so sure about that. Oh, uh, yeah, unfortunately, um, as you know, the process has opened again. The Constitutional Court in South Africa determined the first uh, uh, election date, uh, or can I say when it was uh, published uh, in the Gazette, as unconstitutional. They didn't give the reasons. We didn't receive the complete uh, Constitutional Court uh, papers yet, so they didn't publish it. So. We don't know why they have declared the first proclamation as unconstitutional. So there will be a new proclamation. And yes, the Electoral Commission has started the new uh, line, can I say, uh, where parties have to comply to. I know, as you said, there's now a court case. Uh, the view from the Freedom Front Plus is that uh, we are not so sure that the parties who is contesting uh, the fact that the lists are open again will be successful. I hope they are successful. Uh, as much as I wish that the ANC will not be permitted to re-subject or, or submit their uh, candidates, but uh, we're not so sure about that. But in a hypothetical, let's say they lose that court case, would it be absolutely devastating to the ANC? Would, would they potentially now go below 50% in the next local election? Yes, there's no doubt about it. Because in a 95, uh, can I say, municipalities, they did not submit their uh, candidate lists. And if you look at the electoral system in South Africa, that means that they will lose, uh, or there's actually no way that they will be able to get the majority in those municipalities where they did not submit their candidates. So it will be devastating. I think even if... Uh, 
the court agrees that they can uh, resubmit, I still think they're going to have problems because the ANC as a political party is in disarray, it's faction fighting. Uh, they don't have the funds anymore, which they were used to. And uh, I mean, last uh, weekend, at uh, it was Saturday, with, at the meeting with the branches, uh, they started shooting each other and three people were killed. So uh, where was this? Uh, this was last Saturday in, in KZN. Uh, wow. Yes, uh, I mean, you must remember in South Africa, if you can be a candidate, you are assured of a income. Uh, and therefore, they are willing to kill each other to get onto the lists. So uh, it sounds, uh, uh, can I say, ridiculous, but that is unfortunately the truth. Is it possible that not only the ANC will, is looking at defeat, but maybe they're but they will probably they potentially completely disintegrate because they they don't get the funds they need and because of party infighting that the party will split up before they actually lose an election well i hope so uh, that they will split up because in south africa if you look at uh, a national level for instance there's not one opposition party who on its own will be able to win the anc uh, in an election, but a coalition of opposition parties. Uh, it is possible then to uh, ensure that they are not in government anymore. And that will be enhanced by the fact if they split again, uh, because uh, again, coming back to our proportional electoral system, that will be the ideal situation where opposition parties would be able to form a coalition because of the fact that the ANC won't get 50% uh, and more of the votes. Mm. Yeah, yeah, let's hope that happens. But um, in one area where the governing party really sh comes up short is policing. And as a member of the Parliament's Committee for Police, what is your opinion on the state of South Africa's police? Well, I must be honest, it's a pity uh, that I must say that uh, law and order in South Africa as far as crime is concerned, is a real crisis. I mean, just to take an example, the murder rate or the world average for murder is seven per 100,000 of the population. In South Africa, it is 36 per 100,000 of the population. And if you look at the criminal justice system in South Africa, we have many problems. To give you one example, the forensics uh, laboratories of the police there's a backlog, and if we only look, for instance, at gender-based violence in South Africa, those uh, DNA samples, we have a backlog of almost 200,000 samples. That means that there are victims of gender-based violence, uh, women and girls that have been raped, and the perpetrators are still outside, and waiting for more than two years to get the DNA test to ensure a successful conviction. Wow. So you can imagine yourself. So unfortunately, uh, when it comes to the police services in South Africa, we have many problems.
And why, what is fundamentally the problem? Is it because policing is too centralized, that it's in the hands of the Pretoria government and not in the hands of a local um, government, local municipal level? Uh, there, there are uh, various uh, reasons for that. Firstly, it actually started in 2000 when the governing party, the ANC, started to appoint the National Commissioner of uh, Police not as an experienced police uh, person, but uh, political appointments. In 2000, we had a Jackie Celebi. He was a diplomat, never been in the police services. He became the National Commissioner of Police. He didn't know what to do. In fact, he ended up in jail. Uh, the second was Becky Tsele, also a politician, was never a police person, and uh, he had to leave the position because of allegations of uh, corruption. The second one, around about 2013, was Ria Pajega. She was a social worker, never been in the police services. And since, and I can say from 2000 to 20, end of 2017, we had police commissioners who had no experience as police men and women only by the end of 2017 november 2017 they then appointed a experienced commissioner of police the present general sitole uh, and you can think for yourself the decay in the police services as the national commissioner who doesn't want or do doesn't know what to do so that's one aspect another reason is because of affirmative action and if i refer to affirmative action unfortunately uh, positions that has been uh, given to people promotions uh, the management the top management of police services were not based on merit was not based on experience but on who do you know are you or do you have the right political connections so the top management of police in South Africa became actually a management team that lacked the experience to be able to ensure that we have an effective police service. A third reason is the fact of training. Uh, they have adjusted the curriculums. They made it easy for people to pass their courses because of affirmative action. And Therefore, the quality and the level of training in the police decreased. Uh, just to give you one example, for instance, uh, by the late 1990s, uh, they stopped to give any training for police in uh, when it comes to uh, gatherings, public gatherings, and how to control uh, public order. Uh, Why so did they do this? Well, their approach was that was something for apartheid uh, when they were part of the struggle and they don't need it, although uh, it is actually quite wrong because if you look at the service protests taking place in South Africa, uh, they should have known that they should uh, still train their people. They started to train again, but that only started around about 2008. Uh, and at the moment, we only have about say 6,000 to 7,000 members of the police service 
who are effectively trained in public ordering police. Uh, the fourth thing I want to say is corruption. Uh, corruption in the police services in South Africa is pandemic. Now I know all over the world you will get some form of corruption in police uh, services, but in South Africa I, I say it's pandemic. Um, you will see, for instance, there are certain cases, if you have the right money, uh, the docket will disappear, uh, and the police in itself taking bribes. Uh, and uh, I mean, we had a situation where, by, for instance, one police officer uh, sold almost 9,000 firearms to, uh, can I say, gangs in the Western Cape, where it was firearms that has been handed in to the police in amnesty periods so that they were part of crime. We had situations and it was in the newspapers, for instance, where criminal come, criminals come to the police station uh, at the evening, uh, they are given a firearm, they go and commit the crime and before light they just give back the firearm and it's actually impossible to trace the firearm. So. There are these basic issues, and in fact, it is actually a shame that I have to mention these things. But unfortunately, we must decide whether we want to be polite and diplomatic or whether we want to be uh, truth and put the truth on the table and be honest. I prefer to be honest because I say we must know what the problems are and then we can deal with it or else you are misleading yourself and other people. But these are reasons why we are in this dear, uh, or can I say, uh, uneasy uh, situation as far as police services and the criminal justice system is concerned in South Africa. That's fascinating. And I, I recently watched uh, a Devil's Door documentary which covered the murders in Kreerstor. And those dockets in that, in that case disappeared as well. That's why those murders went on for like five to ten years. But... Um, so what would be the Freedom Fronts Plus remedy for this situation? How, how do we solve this problem on a, on a systemat, systemat, systemic sorry, and structural level? Well, firstly, of course, okay, we have an experienced commissioner of police. Uh, that is uh, very important. But secondly, we say that they should do away with affirmative action, not only in the police services, in all state departments because they put people in positions who are not competent to do the job and not qualified to do the job. So do away with uh, affirmative action. Thirdly, we say they must stop black economic empowerment because in South Africa, I give another name for BEE. I don't call it black economic empowerment. I call it black elite enrichment because that is what it is. Uh, and you find it uh, in the police service and all other departments. Uh, and the reason for that is, for instance, it's costing the taxpayers of South Africa enormous uh, amount of money. Uh, we have an example, for instance, where ESCOM, uh, the electricity supplier in South Africa, where you can, for a fluorescent uh, tube for a light that normally costs about 68 rand at any hardware shop, they procure it for 900 rand because of black economic empowerment because company a is black economic empowered uh, so they have they buy it for 68 rand uh, then you have another two three 
companies that must benefit and they increase the price and that is costing the taxpayers of South Africa. Therefore, there's not enough money to ensure that you have, can I say, the latest, uh, yes, let's say the latest uh, uh, equipment when it comes to policing. If I take, for instance, uh, cybercrime, uh, you can forget about it. Uh, they don't have the ability to really look at that matter. And if you go to forensics, for instance, it's a problem uh, where they need certain equipment, uh, which at this moment they don't have enough money to uh, pay providers or suppliers to ensure that they have uh, qualified and declared the instrument and calibrated to be used. So to say what we suggest should be done, and I've already said that a couple of times, ensure that you have competent people, ensure that you do away with affirmative action, ensure that you stop black economic empowerment, and then you must look, in, you must look into your training uh, curriculums and ensure that the standards uh, set by those uh, training courses are of high standard so that you have to ensure that the best of the applicants can come uh, can become a member of the police services if they mm. only do those few steps there will be a huge improvement mm. and i love that black elite enrichment but um so uh, but just to be clear the freedom front plus is not in favor of sending police to a federal or a local level i believe the da is in favor of that the freedom front plus is no we also uh, in favor of uh, say that uh, you have to decentralize the police services. Uh, for instance, uh, we feel strongly that uh, each province, for instance, uh, like you get uh, in other Western countries uh, in the United States, like for instance, uh, the sheriff and all that sort of people, as far as I know, they are get elected by the people uh, to ensure that they do their work. So I know, for instance, the UK, I went on a study tour there, that the people elect a experienced person to be the provincial uh, or the regional commissioner of police. And that's what we should have in South Africa as well. Uh, so we are in favor of decentralizing the police services as uh, far as possible to the lower uh, level where the people can have more direct inputs uh, in, can I say, appointing uh, and actually firing a police commissioner if he or she doesn't do their work properly. Mm. And with all these problems, to quote Davi Ruet, you have to have a hole in your head if you still believe in the new dawn. Could it be accurate to say that Ramaphosa, I mean, we have given him now four to five years, and it seems he just doesn't have the capabilities to address this problem. Could it be accurate to say that he has betrayed his voters and South Africa and that he has placed the ANC as number one and South Africa as number two? Well, in Parliament, uh, with the State of the Nation address this year, uh, I said to the President, while well, you said that the ANC is accused number one when it comes to corruption, but you are number one of accused number one. Uh, so what did you do about it? There's no doubt in my mind that Ramaphosa has 
failed the people of South Africa in general. Uh, everything he do is what is in the best interest of the ANC as a political party. And he himself said that he would rather be an unpopular president, but he will ensure that his acts are always in the best interest of the ANC. So we have a president that openly said, well, you as citizens of South Africa, you're not my priority number one. Uh, the ANC is more important than you are. The irony of the fact is that he has trouble in his own party. Uh, some of his loyal supporters in the ANC, uh, members of parliament, came to me and said that even they can't stand the or undecisiveness of the president to take bold steps. Uh, so in that sense, if I can go and see what he had said to the Zondo Commission, and the, the Zondo Commission asked him, why didn't you act? And he said he had a choice. He could act, but then they would have asked him as a president, but he had to manage the situation so that he can still be the president. Now, if you look at those words, in fact, in the end, I make the statement to say, yes, he said that he will do everything in the best interest of the ANC. I want to make the statement, Cyril Ramaphosa will do everything only in the best interest of himself, namely Cyril Ramaphosa. And, and there's probably a sort of an irony here that by putting the ANC first, he's struggling to keep the ANC together because the South Africa is more and more uh, not voting for the party because they're seeing what is happening. So ironically, it's not, not putting the ANC first is leading to the ANC, excuse me, by putting the ANC first, it's leading to the ANC falling in the polls. Yes, of course, you're quite right. That is an irony on, in the whole matter. We will see what will happen with the coming election. But you must also remember that uh, we are in Africa. In Africa, politics works a bit different. And I always say, if you want to be a politician in South Africa, you must understand Africa, or else uh, you will not survive. The fact of the matter is that, and I put it simple, uh, in Western democracies, if the voters are not satisfied with a governing party, then they change their vote, and they vote for some other opposition party. In Africa, that does not happen easily. What happens in Africa is, that the voters stay away from uh, the voting uh, polls. They do not go and vote. So that makes it a difference. And therefore, uh, I said when we started this conversation that there is a possibility, because of our electoral system, uh, that it is possible to beat the ANC in a, can I say, opposition coalition government at the next national and provincial elections as well. There will be, for sure, many municipalities in this election that is going to take place on the 1st of November in South Africa, where the ANC were the governing party in those municipalities, and they will not be the governing party after the 1st of November. Uh, if, we, if we can move this discussion to the Western Cape, um, the Freedom Front Plus recently came out in favor of Cape independence. 
How how does the the Western uh, excuse me the Freedom Front Plus um, strive to be competitive to the DA and the Western Cape? How, how are they planning to campaign for Cape independence? Well, firstly, if you look at uh, Cape independence, uh, the movement as such, which is actually the uh, the whole people initiative behind that is the Cape Exit people. Uh, we say that is in line with our policies and our mission. Uh, we use the word self-determination. So it's modern. Self-determination in uh, Western politics and world politics uh, is actually the spearhead of uh, international politics. So yes, if you talk about an independent Western Cape in the end, we say it is uh, in line with our mission as uh, a party that believes in self-determination. When it comes to the DA, we say that we don't want the ANC to take over government in the Western Cape. The DA has been there for many years now, but we say that we have to improve government in the Western Cape and asking the voters to vote for the Freedom Front Plus so that we can force the DA to form a coalition with the Freedom Front Plus. Because then, in a coalition, we can bring in those issues where we think, for instance, is in the best interest of the electorate and the people of the Western Cape. And uh, we believe that uh, that is possible. It looks good if you look at uh, what is happening in the Western Cape, specifically when it comes to the brown people, which is the majority in the Western Cape, uh, we are going to have some surprises when it comes to the candidates uh, one of these days when we announce them. And uh, I'm quite hopeful uh, that it is possible so that we can improve further service delivery. But I want to state it very, very clearly. We don't want the ANC or the EFF to get into power, but we can form a coalition uh, that can improve services as far as the Western Cape is concerned. Mm. So the aim is to put pressure on the Democratic Alliance in that sense. But is the, is the Freedom Front Plus still in favor of a folk start? I believe that's one of the prime reasons for the creation of the Freedom Front Plus. Well, it depends what you mean by a folk start. It's a very old term. Uh, we are in favor of self-determination. Uh, modern self-determination. I always say that uh, I refer to Professor Samuel Huntington. Uh, he wrote a book, uh, The Class of Civilizations, in remaking the Third World Order. And he clearly stated, and that was written in 94 already, uh, he clearly stated that in future politics, the minorities in the world will have to be protected against the tyranny of the majority. Now, if there is ever a country uh, which is having a democracy, uh, but where the minorities uh, must be protected against the tyranny of the majority, it is South Africa. To just give you one example, mm. in a metro city, Etiquini, which is Durban, there was an advertisement in the beginning of this year where the municipality advertised an auction of second-hand vehicles of the municipality and in the advertisement, they clearly said no whites, Indians or coloreds are permitted to attend this auction. Wow. So that's blatantly open discrimination against minorities. Therefore, we say 
that we are in favor of that self-determination. You refer to a false start. It's a specific area. If you, for instance, ask the Scottish people in the UK, they, they want another referendum to become uh, an independent state again, uh, which I think they have a good opportunity or chance to win. That's self-determination. Uh, if you go into Africa, uh, if you go and look at the history of Ethiopia and Eritrea, for instance, it was one country, Ethiopia. They had a civil war for almost 30 years. And when each and every group had its own territorial area, their own state, uh, peace uh, came into that region. So we believe in modern uh, self-determination. Uh, we are not going back to apartheid because many people think if you talk about self-determination, we want to go back to apartheid. No, we don't want to go back to apartheid. Okay. And um, I, I recently spoke to Fadil Adams. He is the leader of the Cape Colored Congress. And he mentioned a few cases. I mean, this, this is his words, where the Democratic Alliance is more corrupt than the ANC. His assertion is that the Democratic Alliance essentially um, it's the same level as, as corrupt as the ANC, just on a provincial level. Is, is that accurate? Is that fair? Is it fair to say the Democratic Alliance is just as corrupt as the ANC, but just on a, on a, on a provincial level? Well, I won't be able to say that because I don't have all those facts. Uh, so for some people, if they have uh, proof of that, then they must come forward with that. And yes, uh, I don't think that the DA is not corrupt. They also have uh, corruption within their own party. Uh, but I won't say that they are more corrupt than the ANC. I think that will be unfair because I don't think there's any other political party that can be more corrupt as the ANC. Uh, so I will not agree with that, but to say that they are not corrupt is also wrong. Uh, I am sure that there are cases where there is corruption. Uh, we saw that in newspapers, for instance, uh, also on the coast area near George and all those places, there are uh, serious uh, allegations of corruption people who had been paid to ensure certain private development uh, and everything like that. But still, they have court cases and that must, uh, at the end, uh, determine whether it's true or not. But to conclude on that matter, yes, I do believe there is corruption. Uh, their hands are not uh, clean. For instance, uh, we talk about the Guptas, the most corrupt family in South Africa. And I said in Parliament once uh, that Helen Zeller, the previous leader of the Democratic Alliance, she's on record where she said that the best breakfast she ever had in her life was with the Guptas. So she wined and dined with the Guptas and had breakfast with them. At one stage, it was also said that they received some donations from the Guptas. Yes, they the said that they paid it back, but uh, we don't have proof of that. We have new legislation in South Africa now, who started the 1st of April this year, where the Freedom Front, plays, uh, Freedom Front Plus played a major role in uh, amending the Party Political Funding Act, so that any donation more than 100,000 rand must be publicized, and the donors must be known and everything. So that is a huge improvement to ensure and to see who 
gives what amounts of money to which political parties and whether those parties are in government. And that's probably also another reason to vote for the Freedom Front Plus in the Western Cape to keep a check on potential corruption of the Democratic Alliance. There's no doubt about that. Uh, that is uh, one of the most important roles we will play, even as opposition party. I mean, that's uh, uh, part and parcel of opposition parties. But there is a difference in this sense that if you are part of the coalition, you have more access to what is really happening with certain, uh, can I say, uh, suppliers, the contracts. Uh, it, uh, it's not as simple to say, but you are an opposition party because you don't always have access to all the information uh, when, for instance, you are part of that coalition government. So, yes, we will play a major role in that sense to ensure that if there is any corruption, that we will be able to expose that and stop it. If we, if we can pivot to um, the National Party and Apartheid, an excuse that is often drudged up by the ANC to justify or excuse their failures, I would love to hear your opinion on this issue. Um, Rulf Meyer and Ramaphosa were the chief negotiators behind the scenes for the, uh, before the first democratic elections. And it is a common conception that Rulf Meyer, that Ramaphosa had from Oran gesit, that Rulf Meyer was taken for a ride. Do you believe that was the case? And if Rulf Meyer was a stronger negotiator, things would have been better in South Africa today. Apparently, this is a rumor that President de Klerk was quite angry with him, that he made too many concessions. Well, there's no doubt about that, that uh, Ruth Meyer was actually, he gave over. Uh, he actually hands up uh, as far as the ANC is concerned. But he was only a, a, a pin in, in the whole game. Uh, I blame the whole Nationalist Party. And I blame F.W. de Klerk uh, and the whole cabinet of the Nationalist Party for the situation we are in at today. But as I also say that the Freedom Front Plus believe that we should not start to fight for a better past. We must start to fight for a better future. But history is history. The fact of the matter is that F.W. de Klerk and the Nationalist Party created the impression that they had no choice. Uh, if they did not give over to the ANC, uh, then South Africa would have been in a civil war, a bloodbath, and all that sort of things. It's not true. The, we say that there were many other options. Uh, we believe in the devolution of power. We could have become a federal state, like in the United States of America, for instance, where Federal states have certain powers. Uh, let's take, for instance, uh, uh, murderers uh, still get the death penalty in, uh, for instance, uh, Texas, and I think in California at this moment still. But in the state of New York, they do not believe in the death penalty. So there were other, uh, can I say, forms of government to ensure a better South Africa, where certain provinces if they received more powers, they, and we spoke about the police, for instance, if they had the power to appoint their own police services there, it would have been a better country than we have at this moment. 
the fact of the matter is at this moment we have a simple majority rule in South Africa. The Nationalist Party wanted to create the impression that they have all these checks and balances. Uh, they always refer uh, to yes, but the ultimate is the rule of law. Now, just to give you one example, the highest court in South Africa is the Constitutional Court, but my language, Afrikaans, my mother tongue language, we have uh, 38 university campuses in South Africa. There's not one single university campus that can I say is exclusive Afrikaans. They are all English. And there was a constitutional case at the University of the Free State, and the Constitutional Court said, yes, Afrikaans was part of apartheid, and therefore they can have English as the language of tuition. But the same constitution determines that everybody has the right to receive his or her education in its mother tongue language. Mm. So the so-called rule of law that will protect us all is not uh, what is happening in South Africa. And there's no doubt that FW that like the Nationalist Party, you've referred to Ruth Mayer, they actually uh, defeated, well, defeated by the ANC and they did not uh, act in the best interest of South Africa. Mm. Do you, uh, why do you believe they were convinced this would lead to a civil war if they, if they didn't give too much concessions? Do you believe it was weakness or do you believe they just had the wrong information? I think it is both. They had the wrong information and it's also they were weak uh, because, I mean, at that moment, the leader of the Freedom Front Plus uh, uh, was uh, General Constant Fulhoun. He was a previous uh, uh, chief of the South African Defence Force. And the ANC took note of what he said. And we wanted to prevent any possibility of a civil war. Therefore, that I think that the Nationalist Party, they actually abandoned the security forces. We must remember that in the early 90s, before 94 and Codesa, uh, that F.W. de Klerk as president fired 28 generals uh, of the South African Defense Force, intelligence officers, uh, with no re good reason. He just wanted to get rid of the so-called securocrats so that he can do as he wish. And that's why I say that they used the civil war as uh, a smokescreen to say to people, you must believe in what we as Nationalist Party is doing and that it is in the best interest of South Africa. It was nothing else than a smokescreen and they actually misled the voters at that stage uh, of South Africa. So it, it was sort of a fear tactic. They just wanted to resolve the issue and they installed the fear in the general populace. It's going to lead to civil war. We just want to get this thing over. That's really what they wanted to do. That's correct. And, and of course, they also used uh, uh, the sanction, can I say, uh, issue that if South Africa does not uh, accept to what the demands of the ANC are, that uh, we will have more sanctions, the economy uh, will uh, actually go down and people won't have jobs and all that sort of things. Ironically, that's what we are experiencing now. <laughs> uh, 
the economy is uh, down. Uh, the unemployment rate uh, amongst the youth between 15 and 25 is uh, 62% in South Africa. The more general rate is 44% unemployment. The economy doesn't really grow fast enough to ensure that uh, jobs are created. So what the, what the Nationalist Party told the people is actually happening now. But as it may be, the fact of the matter is that I think that the Nationalist Party were also not just uh, up to standard with the ANC. Uh, they underestimated the ANC. They underestimated Cyril Ramaphosa as a negotiator because they thought that they are untouchable, and I'm referring to the Nationalist Party, but they were actually, can I say, caught off guard with the real knowledge and the skills of the ANC in negotiating a new dispensation for South Africa. But I want to say again, I, I want to move on. There's no use uh, that we start fighting for a better past. There are many people who vote for the Freedom Front Plus at the moment who actually in the 90s voted for the Nationalist Party. I can say I never personally voted for the Nationalist Party. I've never been a member of the Nationalist Party. But uh, we say let's not uh, show fingers to each other, point fingers to each other to say, yeah, but you voted for it or everything like that. I want to fight for a better future. And to ensure that, I say we'll have to take hands, let the bygones be bygones, and let's see how we can create a better future for the, all the people in South Africa. Mm. And um, yeah, this is my personal opinion, but I believe Nelson Mandela was both a, a blessing and a curse in the sense that he was a, obviously a great leader, but I believe the, the, the National Party was sort of um fooled to think that most of the people in the, in the anc were like nelson mandela that if, if they give over concessions power to a person like nelson mandela that is what will lead into the future but obviously we have now seen with his fall we have seen the rot of the anc most people in the anc or a lot of people in the anc are not like the the mystical messiah figure like nelson mandela he, he sort of he fooled the National Party with his charisma. I think your opinion is justified. Uh, it is true. Uh, and it's quite interesting. Uh, we, are, uh, we, we as members of Parliament since 1994 and even before that, we now can see uh, how it has changed the new generations uh, that is actually now members of Parliament. And I mean, uh, the accusations now is that, well, Nelson Mandela was a sellout. Uh, that's some, uh, how some political parties, for instance, like the EFF, sees Nelson Mandela. And uh, they will never admit it and they will never say it, but there are some of the young ANC members of parliament who also thinks that uh, Nelson Mandela was a sellout. The irony is that, uh, we think that FW de Klerk and those people were sellouts. But in the end, I say again that uh, your opinion is justified. They, and that is what I actually also meant when I said they underestimated the ANC. 
they thought that they can negotiate with them on, and I want to say, say Western standards to ensure that the rule of law will prevail. We asked at that stage, yes, you want the rule of law, but who's going to appoint the judges? And I don't say that, yes, at this moment that the, just, uh, the judges are a problem. But if I look at some uh, findings of the Constitutional Court, we start asking questions. Uh, how sure are we that justice will prevail and that the rule of law will prevail? We had some situations, let's take Zuma for instance, his jail sentence uh, uh, as far as the Constitutional is for contempt of court. We didn't know whether it was going to happen. So yes, uh, the fact that they sent him to jail is positive and it, I said it was a victory for democracy, constitutional democracy. But coming back to your point, I agree with you that uh, they didn't think ahead, they didn't think into the future, they only think uh, in, on the short term as far as the negotiations are concerned and we see that at the moment we are at the process where there was an attempt to amend the constitution when it comes to expropriation without compensation. Luckily, the ANC does not have a two-thirds majority. And luckily, the EFF uh, had some problems with the ANC or else they would have had a two-thirds of majority. And I mean, there are real serious matters in the constitution that can be changed and amended by a two-thirds majority. Uh, and I'm coming back to affirmative action again, I'm coming back to black economic empowerment. Those are actually nothing else than racist, discriminatory actions. Uh, do we want to go back to apartheid? Do we want to repeat the mistakes of the past? I say in South Africa, we have really good people uh, who are highly qualified, uh, they should take the best people with the best qualifications to build South Africa. I mean, it's sad to see that South Africans, for instance, young people, they left South Africa. And then in certain companies, they become the senior management. Uh, they are, can I say, creative. I know about a young South African when it comes to solar uh, panels and everything like that. He went to the government and said, can you please assist? I want to create jobs. And because of the fact that he was white, they said no. They will never admit it, but we know that is what was said. He left South Africa, he went to Germany, and now we're importing those same solar panels from uh, South Africa. Uh, so that is really uh, a sad story. And ironically, in the 2019 election, Senator Ramaphosa said he wished he could tie the white young people to a tree so that they cannot leave South Africa. And I said to him, did you ever ask yourself, why do the young people leave South Africa? It's because of your policy of affirmative action. Mm. And on the issue of um, selling out, the uh, what you said that the ANC or some members of the ANC and the EFF believe that Nelson Mandela sold out, um, 
These same members would also sometimes say that the National Party, in excuse of the ANC's policies, were just as corrupt as the ANC currently is. Is that an accurate assessment to say that the National Party were just as corrupt as the ANC? No, it, it will not be correct to say they were just as corrupt as the ANC. And I want to emphasize it again. You will get no political party uh, pre-1994 and even uh, post-1994, if I can put it that way, who is as corrupt as the ANC. Uh, it is a pandemic. Uh, the corruption, and I mean, uh, we're talking of billions of rands here. But I don't think that you will easily get a government in the world where you won't find any corruption. Uh, all governments do have an element when it comes to civil servants and corruption. And yes, there was corruption in the Nationalist Party. But we must remember that when they were caught out, they went to jail. And I have some examples. There was uh, Mr. Henny van der Walt, he was the MP uh, that was sentenced in 1988 to 10 years imprisonment uh, because of uh, 15 counts of theft of 800,000 trust money. Uh, we had a, a Leon de Beer, a former Nationalist Party MP, who were jailed in 89 for two years on 70 counts of electoral fraud. Uh, and then we had another guy, Pierre de Pontus, uh, also an MP. Uh, he was fined 35,000 rand for fraud, but then they had a former minister, a minister Petit Duplessis. He was a former cabinet minister, received a nine-year jail sentence in 93 for 17 counts of fraud involving 30 million rand. Now, if I can take that as an example, a uh, nine-year jail sentence for 30 million rand uh, and he went to jail. The fact of the matter is that at this moment, we have no minister who went to jail for any fraud. Let's take our latest issue on the previous minister for health, Dr. Mkise, uh, where it is now quite clear that he personally uh, benefited from companies that uh, were supposed to do some communication uh, work for them. So they, you can go to many departments, but the minister uh, at this moment, no one has went to, uh, no one went to jail. So to say it is just as corrupt, uh, or the National Party was just as corrupt as the ANC is, I deny that. It's not true. Uh, and the big difference is in the Nationalist Party, when they were caught with corruption, they went to jail. And I'd very much like to see that happens with the ANC at the moment. Mm. So relatively speaking, the ANC is much more corrupt than the National Party ever were or was. But um, uh, uh, just to use one example, I recently read a story of Gia Stradom, the former prime minister uh, um, during apartheid. He used to borrow money from the state to pay, to pay his posts that he sent out. And at the end of each month, he paid these few cents back. I, I, I just, I can't imagine a president of South Africa or a minister doing that same level of devotion of paying back state money for such a small amount. I mean, yeah, but... Well, um, as I said, yes, uh, I, I think it depends how far back you want to go into history. 
Uh, and yes, of course, you will get certain situations like that. Uh, but I want to emphasize it. We're not talking about millions here with the ANC. We talk about billions. Mm. And I want to say that it is actually common knowledge that people in South Africa, when they started with funds, for instance, with the COVID-19 pandemic, I personally warned and I said, and they've referred to 500 billion package to assist. And I said, and how much of that 500 billion will go to the pockets of individuals? And at this moment, uh, the special investigating units and uh, all other investigating uh, institution, they're talking about at least 40 billion at this moment when it comes to protective clothing uh, or private protective, uh, can I say, procurement uh, for the pandemic. So again, yes, and I say again, I don't think you will get a government or in the history of any, uh, can I say, country that you will say that this country never had a situation of corruption. But surely in South Africa, we never had uh, the corruption that we have at this moment. Mm. And in, in a classical liberal and libertarian circles, they describe the National Party as a fascist slash national socialist government. Is, is that a true and a fair representation of the National Party, that they were a fascist national socialist government? No, I don't agree with that. When we talk about certain terms, it also depends. Uh, they were a, a nationalist party, yes. You must remember and you must always judge history in its uh, time. Um, if you go and look at the history, specifically when it comes to the Afrikaner, uh, they actually uh, lost the war in 1899-1902, where the British government uh, killed 36,000 women and children in concentration camps because of the scorched earth uh, policy where farms, uh, stock, everything has been burned down to the ground, women and children put into concentration camps. Uh, people forget about that. Uh, so take that history in account when you look at, if you talk about nationalism and the nationalist party, uh, they had to pull themselves up again as a nation after that defeat in 1910, the whole of South Africa became the Union of South Africa under rule of the United Kingdom. And they strived to become a republic. So in 1961, they did become a republic of South Africa. So I will describe it as a nationalist republic political party to want to strive and the ideal to become an independent republic, not under UK or English rule. Uh, I won't see it. I don't see it as a fascist uh, socialist party. I disagree with that. And uh, last question, I, I don't want to uh, spend any more of your valuable time. On the issue of apartheid, um, if W. de Klerk recently came into quite a lot of trouble because he said that um, and I, I believe this is correct, that he said that apartheid was terrible or wrong, but it was not a crime against humanity. Um, why is it necessary to bring up this topic? Why is it necessary to have this legal debate about whether 
apartheid was a crime against humanity or not? Is he, is he trying to restore his legacy? I think you're quite right. Uh, I think it was out of, uh, can I say, <laughs> uh, out of pace as far as that is concerned. Uh, it, uh, I don't see why he said that. Uh, but as you said, I think it was a, a, a sort of an effort to restore his legacy because he knows that what is happening in South Africa now is because of him. Uh, he was a president at that stage. But I also want to say again, I don't think that topic should really be an issue in South Africa anymore. With great respect, the ANC uses apartheid and uses this argument uh, to justify their own incompetence and inability to be a good government. So it's always because of apartheid. Uh, and ironically, uh, uh, even Zuma is on record and Tabu Mbeki is on record where we said that we must stop blaming apartheid for everything that's going wrong in South Africa. Uh, although that's what they said, but they, they also said, and I mean, Zuma came forward with the notion of everything started when Jan van Riebeek in 1652 landed in South Africa. So it's contradicting in a certain way. The fact of the matter is that if you look at apartheid, I always say, and I said it previously, that you have to judge history in the context of its time. I mean, in, in the United States of America, we had uh, the incident of the Rosa Parks. Uh, for instance, in 1955, the uh, incident on uh, in Montgomery and the Alabama bus uh, case, where she sat on a seat uh, in, on, on a bus which was reserved only for white people. That was in 1955. And I mean, it is actually seen and it helped initiate the civil rights movement in the United States. So how long are we going to debate apartheid? Are we going to the United States to see what they did about apartheid and everything? And I want to use it again, and I've emphasized it so many times. Let's start fighting for a better future. It's no use. You're not going to change the history. History is history. But what I want to say as far as that is concerned, that the ANC must stop blaming apartheid for everything that's going wrong in South Africa. And it's nothing else than a smokescreen for their own inability and incompetence to be a government. It's as simple as that. Uh, so they must realize it doesn't help to do blame shifting. They must take responsibility for the fact that they are a government. And then I also personally want to refer to Cyril Ramaphosa. He's the president of the Republic of South Africa. He must take the responsibility as a president and a president of a country puts his country first, not his political party. Mm. And to add to that, um, I believe Julius Malema recently said that the health service was run better during apartheid than it is currently being run. And interestingly, on that note, um, the Institute of Race Relations released a few years back a poll where they asked people if the ANC approached them and said, we, we are facing the current problems because of apartheid. Do you believe that statement? And I believe about 90% of people said, that's including black, white Indians said, they don't believe that statement when the ANC says apartheid is responsible for today's problems. So it's, it's optimistic and on, on that note, that people are not sell, uh, buying their message. You're quite right. 
And I mean, uh, there are many people, if you talk to them, uh, ironically, they said they wish they can go back to apartheid uh, for whatever it may be. Uh, but uh, many people, especially if you go to uh, the roots level of the people, uh, they said, well, we had better uh, circumstances uh, in our townships and everything when we were still under the apartheid regime. But the fact of the matter is that when they vote, the question is still, will they change their vote for other political parties or will they just stay away? Uh, on the subject of apartheid, I always say that we are still too close to apartheid. You know, 26 years in the life of a individual or a person is quite a couple of years, but in the growing and uh, can I say in the history of a nation, it's not very long. So what the ANC really do is when it comes to election, and we have a system, they call it uh, 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 HOP houses, uh, where the government give people houses, millions of them. And the only thing they do is they say, well, we're going to take your home away and take it back and give it to someone else. You must remember in South Africa, at this moment, we have more than 18 million people who receive some or other form of uh, social grant. They go to the people and say, well, if you don't vote for the ANC, we're going to take away your social grant. And that's actually nothing else than intimidation of the voters. And we have to overcome that so that the mass electorate can understand that they will not take away your social grant. They will not take away your house. You can vote for another party. But as I said, that's a challenge for all opposition political parties in South Africa. And uh, I do believe in the end we will win that battle. Mm. And and just to, for our viewers, um, uh, neither I nor uh, Dr. Grunewald or the Freedom Front Plus is in favor of going back to apartheid. We're just illustrating that nothing is ever black or white. But uh, thank you, Doctor. This has been a fascinating, interesting conversation. I want to give you one last opportunity to add plug or say anything that you want to. Donald, thank you again from my side. Thank you for this opportunity. I want to say that the people of uh, the world must understand. I am an Afrikaner. I am proud who I am. And I do not believe in apartheid. I do believe in justice. And I am here in South Africa to stay. I always use the example to say there are people to say that we must just stand back and South Africa will go down the drain. My answer to them is no. If you're a big tree in a wood and the wood is on fire, don't think that you're not going to burn. Because you're a big tree, maybe you're going to burn more than the other bushes uh, in the wood. Therefore, we are here, we are going to ensure that we create a future for our children. And I, as leader of the Freedom Front Plus, as long as I will be able to do that, I will vigorously ensure that there's justice for all the minorities, also for the future. Well, thank you, Doctor. A very powerful symbolic message there. And to our viewers, if you've made it this far, please consider liking this video, sharing it as widely as possible, and subscribing to our channel. My name is Donald, and this has been Worldview.